Okay, so th this one tonight, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about interoperability again. Why? Well, because we think it's probably the most important thing to come out of, uh, of crypto in the last few years. There's been all sorts of, um, of chains launched and all sorts of layer twos and layer ones. And really, it comes down to, you know, that old question, why another layer one? Well, as we know, crypto still operates in uh, or blockchain still operates in silos. And that's a problem. And, and uh, we've solved that. So the topic for tonight is around interoperability and, and is it the most valuable investment in the future of Web3? Um, I want to welcome everyone for coming along tonight. Um, and uh, tonight we've got, uh, it's an Ask Me Anything session with a, a panel of um, some high net worth uh, investors, uh, some sophisticated investors, as we call them in Australia, to share their experiences and insights uh, into why they've uh, invested in uh, uh, interoperability and specifically Layer1x. So what I'd like to do is um, just open it up to, uh, uh, to each of our speakers to introduce themselves and um, give us a little bit of yeah, info about yourself, your background, your experience investment. Um, so first one, Mr. Crypto Psycho. Um, so I've, I've been, investment-wise, I actually started a long, long time ago. Like I, I think I posted in the chat um, yesterday, actually. I started investing in stock market when I was probably around 20, in my 20s, um, but I didn't have the time or patience to do research, and I was kind of trusting, trusting other people in the space. In, in newspapers specifically and I was I was basically investing in what I was being recommended and I didn't have so I didn't have the time or patience to look at stuff myself and in the end I got wrecked and that was that was a, a bitter experience fast forwarding right up until um 2018 that's when I kind of fell found crypto um but again in 2018 I wasn't really I wasn't really um, looking at relationships, looking at uh, projects in depth. I was just kind of buying blind, if you will. And it's only it's only in 2021 where I started like making making relationships and joining communities. Uh, and at, at that point, that's when I started to see to see value in things because I was getting to know projects getting to know teams getting to know communities and i'd say it's taken me probably all my life to get to to get to where i am now to realize that's where the value lies and it's literally it's got me to it's got me to here where i am now and i've i've fortunately found a lot of good projects a lot of good investments and i know when this bull run comes um a lot of them will well hopefully a lot of them will do do really well and it's and it's just through spending time and getting to know people building building the relationships that's what's key in my opinion anyway fantastic okay so um let's jump over to uh sleazy slimy and uh get a little bit of um, background on yourself and um um your background in investment um yeah some of your experiences uh yes hello so you might notice that i'm pretty young for a lot of people here um i'm yeah mostly it is uh, i see a lot of investors here that are just gray haired <laughs> no offense uh i'm lucky to none, be none able taken. to have enough <laughs> yeah i'm lucky to be able to uh, invest even though i am pretty much fresh out of university uh it kind of works out 
I pretty much have more experience with Web3 than I have with development because I graduated as IT, uh, only undergrad though. And it kind of works out for me because I think in this space, you are expected more to know about Web3 first and then have technical skills. Like you're expected to have both, of course. But if you choose between someone who knows more about Web3 and a little less about technical skills, uh, or, or someone more about technical, but is oblivious about Web3, you would go with the one who knows more about Web3. So I'm hoping to build some kind of career out of this. Uh, I have started investing really first into only like Bitcoin. I was very careful at first because I'm kind of a frugal uh, person by nature, uh, especially because, you know, when you go through undergrad, it kind of humbles you because you have very limited resources. You just only buy food. And when you do buy food, you calculate everything on spreadsheet to make sure that uh, you don't overspend. I remember I did like, I made the calculation, I spent four and a half euros uh, per day on food, which I was very proud of because that enabled me to save a lot of money <laughs> in university. Uh, I started investing in Web3 as I said, only just with things like Bitcoin, Ethereum. I remember seeing Ethereum going from like $200 to, it was actually uh, in the pandemic. Uh, to like $500 and I was pretty much hooked on this. I started uh, looking into how I can build something on Ethereum. Um, when I found L1X in March, it was Joe Paris' video. It is pretty popular. Uh, I, I see a lot of people in chat who actually found L1X by, in, in the same manner. I was involved in a gaming project. Uh, the gaming project was talking a lot about um, the interoperability because they were trying to uh, bridge stuff from one thing from one chain to the other chain and that was considered already very high tech just bridging your token and have, having that token on more than one chain and uh, i found about l1x it kind of intrigued me of why it claimed to be a decentralized swap it, fun fact only in the last ma i've actually found out how it is a decentralized uh, swap and how it it uh, affects interoperability as opposed to something like Cosmos IBC, because most people would think about interoperability as something like not holding custody of your funds. And uh, what else? And that uh, the nodes that are responsible for the swap are decentralized. And that's really what I thought for a long time as well. But it's a good thing that Kevin actually clarified with technical details, which I would like to talk about more. But let's get through introductions first, I guess. So to the next one, I guess. For sure. No, thank you for that. And I'll, I'll just add to that, um, going back to your early days when you were, um, uh, you know, um, sitting there trying to deal with, uh, you know, food and, and living for four euros a day. Um, I actually found my old, um, my very first um, payslip uh, or annual annual statement. And I think I earned about $9,000 in uh, my first year of working um, when I uh, when I joined the military. And it was... Um, it was quite phenomenal trying to live off uh, that sort of money. Um, I think I was probably lucky because uh, at least the military provides you food, at, which they took out of that, by the way. Um, so, yeah, I know where you're coming from, that you actually start out um, and it humbles you very much about um, you know, where you've come from and uh, uh, where you want to get to. And I think it opens us up to, uh, to looking for those things that, uh, you know, that, that we all hunt for in, uh, in life. Um, so now what I'll do is I'll jump over to, um, uh, to Ash and uh, get a little bit of a... Uh, an overview and introduction from him. Sure. Um, so uh, thanks, Mike. Uh, firstly, thanks for having me on this platform. Uh, much appreciated. So my name is uh, Ashwini. Feel free to call me Ash, as that's what my friends and colleagues call me. I come from IT background. 
wherein I've been uh, working as a techno functional consultant, driving product uh, development and transformation in the financial services industry. Uh, the last decade or so, I have spent working for MasterCard and the uh, big four banks uh, here in Sydney. Uh, in terms of uh, investment, so I've, been, I've been investing for the last 10, 12 years or so, uh, largely in Sydney and uh, Melbourne real estate, which has done pretty well in the last two cycles. And uh, then lately, I have, I have started diversifying by buying equities, uh, mostly ASX stocks and ETFs. Crypto, not so much. I only bought some coins in uh, as in uh, Solana, Luna, and Avax in the last cycle without you know uh, doing much of due diligence. Um, and I, uh, to some extent, I got burnt as well. So since then, I've been uh, doing some reading, some research, and uh, in this cycle, I feel uh, I think I'm uh, much better prepared than what I was last time. Thanks for that, Ash. Um... <clears throat> Look, what I might do is um, stick with you, Ash, and go back in uh, um, to the other guys in a minute. But um, you mentioned in there about um, uh, that you're working across the financial services industry. And, I, and look, I've got a background across there as well, um, you know, um, working across in the UK, across investment banking. Um, so I probably know the answer to this question, but uh, it's not really for me. It's, uh, it's for our listeners. Um, you, having worked across that industry, um, what do you see as the, the the benefits or the problems that are that exist out there in uh, uh, you know with um, traditional finance um, that you're now seeing that uh, um, interoperability and um, blockchain could could resolve? Um, see, uh, I would say the financial industry is uh, very heavily regulated. Okay. So, and hence it uh, works in, uh, to some extent, it works in silos as well, right? So in terms of, uh, let's say, uh, if I take, for, for example, if I take about, uh, talk about interoperability, right? And, and I think that that's what uh, today's topic, mm -hmm. topic is, right? Yes. Um, so I'll give you a, a very relevant example. So prior to 2018 and 19, if you go to any of uh, the banks here in Australia and apply for a, uh, for a car loan or a home loan or even for a credit card. And for some reason, if you're banking with one bank, whereas if you're asking for a loan from the other bank, um, these guys would ask for your payslip and all those documents as in hard copies or soft copies, which you would have to provide to the other bank who would then go through them, analyze the details and then provide an outcome. But, uh, since 2018, uh, the Austrian government introduced a framework for financial institutes to securely share the banking data with other accredited financial uh, institutes. Uh, the purpose was to share the customer data based on users' consent, which would help in uh, offering better products and services, and hence it would be a good outcome for the customer. So mind you, the user still controls their data and it can only be shared if they agree to do so. So to explain in simple terms, let's say if you bank with Commonwealth uh, with CBA, uh, but uh, want to apply a, a car loan with ANZ, uh, ANZ is a Australian New Zealand bank. So typically what would happen is ANZ would ask for your pay slips and bank statements from Combank uh, so that they can assess your income, expense, uh, calculate serviceability for the loans. And based on this, they will approve or decline the loan. Now, if I'm the customer, it's, a, it's, it's such a big hassle, you know, you, you need to download the documents, say, send it to ANZ, 
the ANZ credit team will analyze them. Then they will go through each of the transactions, calculate how much I earned, I spent, uh, how much I've saved. All of this process would be done manually. So it's such a manual and a inefficient process, uh, which would typically take one or two weeks to get a decision. However, comes open banking. If the customer agrees to share their savings, uh, uh, savings and uh, their current bank account data, uh, the other bank can run their car loan origination system uh, on this data, and you can get an outcome within one minute. So I feel that it, it's such a great outcome and a, a big win for customer, uh, for the customer, and as well as for the bank, uh, which is providing that product. So. To summarize, I would say the uh, the banking uh, world it still works in very much in silos, but with the frameworks and the regulations coming in, I think it is kind of getting together to provide uh, better customer outcomes. Hmm. Thank you for that, <clears throat> and I think. Um... What we're seeing there is that um, the financial services industry, that, that or, or TradFi as we call it, um, is really starting to see the problems that uh, have existed for so long, and it's 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 really hard because um, for them because um, they've got all this regulation, but equally, do we need regulation across crypto? Well, yeah, I think we do to a point, but it's also that decentralised nature of it um, that should also give us the security because. What you what you're describing there is those banks are now sharing, with your permission, yeah. all of your financial information across the other banks. So they've now got a picture of it, of you as a customer, um, and and ultimately you've got no control then of all that information that they're now holding. So okay, it's great to get for people to get approvals, but they can't really control that information after it's been shared. So that other bank can say no, but they've still got all your information. Um, whereas I think uh, you go in blockchain, we can actually make it so that you can, if you need to share information, you can choose to do so to whatever level you choose uh, or revoke uh, that access. And I think that's probably uh, really, really important. So I might jump over to um, uh, uh, to um, Sleazy Slimy and uh, see, see what you think. See if you've got any thoughts around uh, that as well. Yeah, so I think if it comes to TradFi, most people don't know that they handle that permission because... I remember when I signed um, the document to open a bank account back when I was 18, it was like seven or eight pages and it was in Spanish, which at the time I knew a lot worse than I do now. Um, I honestly don't know what exactly I signed. I kind of read through it. I took like 15, 20 minutes on it and the, and the person, the clerk was very patient with me because I was already struggling. <laughs> so, uh, and... Also, what if, even if you do know that uh, you give them permission, it's the kind of permission that if you don't give it to them, you don't have a bank account. And it, you can't go to anyone else because they're going to ask for the same thing. So I think that is a big difference between the, what's going to be um, the change in Web3 you know, on that front. And, it, and even though you're sharing that information, I think it's still siloed, as in you know, you've gone to another silo for that approval or for that loan. You know, um, you've still not opened it up to uh, to the wider world um, of finding the best form of um, whether it's a loan or a new account or whatever it, whatever it might be. Um, you, you don't really, you still don't have that choice. You're you're sort of limited in a way. Um, Crypto Psycho, what are your thoughts? 
You are muted. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry, Mike. If you can just repeat the question, because my call, my, my Twitter <coughs> disconnected and jumped back in again, so I only got to ah, okay. be speaking. Yeah, so, yeah, it was some, um, uh, Ash was um, talking a little bit about the traditional finance world um, and how their, um, uh, yeah, you know, regulation is now enabling um, banks to share information, obviously with consent. Um, and I guess the feeling around, um, you know, okay, even though you've consented to sharing your information, that second uh, or subsequent bank has all your information and uh, uh, you, you can't control it. Um, any thoughts around that or? Well, I mean, I think I think we've grown up with the fact, and the thing is, it's if, if, if DeFi was normal, I think would be conditioned to think to think differently. But I think because we've grown up in the world that we've grown up, we're kind of conditioned to just accepting the fact all our information is shared, nothing's private. Every time you give something, you've not a clue where it's going and there's that many data breaches. But it's like, it's got to a point where I think it's it, it's one of them things that people are a bit blasé about it because it happens day in, day out. And I think it's only when it happens to you where you've been maybe involved in some kind of data breach. I mean, there seems to be one every year, don't there? Like some big bank, some big uh, platform uh, loses the data, gets shares it with people that they shouldn't be sharing it with. And yeah, I think, I actually think the next the next generation, maybe my kids or like Sleazy Slimy's kids, I think DeFi is going to be play a, a much bigger role. I think decentralization, people having control over their own data, who they share it with, when they share it with. I think in the next 10 years or so, I think it'll become more, more and more normal and probably more accepted too. I mean, you're never going to get way of, you know, you're never going to get rid of centralization, but I think people's views about sharing data and who you share it with will significantly change. And I think the expectation will be not to just disclose all your information to banks because you don't, you, the thing, you don't know, you don't know who's going to get their hands on it, do you? And it's a, it's pretty significant if you get your like your identity taken over. It's it's up to you to go and fix it all. And it's a big. So I've got a friend that had the had their identity taken, and it was a nightmare for them. They literally had to contact everybody to try and fix it. And like it's it's not an easy process. No, you're absolutely right. I totally agree with you. Um, now, what we might do is um, let's move on a little bit and. Um, Maybe uh, um, Crypto Psycho, to start off with you again. Um, so what are some of the key lessons that you've learned along your uh, investment journey, whether it's in traditional finance world or, or in uh, crypto, um, that you can share? The biggest, the biggest lesson that I've learned is actual research and getting, getting to know what it is that you're looking at investing in. So don't do anything blind. Don't do anything on a whim. Always like do your due diligence, and once you've found something, whether it be whether it be in stock market or like in crypto, like find find communities where people are like engaging. When, I mean, it's it's a lot easier for for crypto because there's 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 communities for every single project. Uh, probably more in traditional finance, they are going to be out there, but you've you've just got to. To, to me, it's all about the relationships and the networking that you do, because like if I hadn't have got into any of the communities that I've got into, how would I have known what I'm actually buying? Because at the end of the day, you've got to you've got to trust the team, you've got to trust the utility of the project, and to a degree, you wanna you wanna kind of connect with the communities as well, because by connecting with the communities, you can you can get like a good a good idea of what the project's all about. So 
yeah, to me, I mean, to, to sum it up, it's the it's the networking and the relationships is the single most important part of of that. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. Thank you for that. Um, and over to Sleazy Slimy. Yeah, so one of the indicators that I found out for myself on how to find low-cap projects, um, let, let's see. So the Discord moderation is one of the biggest ones. I remember I was... A, almost about to have invest into one project, but my problem was I would ask something in general chat and the mod would respond only in like six, seven hours. So he would, uh, it's not because he was sleeping either because he was awake clearly at the time. It's just generally the response time was so slow. And uh, sometimes I would even not be seen by the moderator, even though the general chat was not overly active. So uh, when the new investors come in and try to f find out about the project. A lot of them just cannot help but, uh, I mean, it is difficult to go on the website and take all of the information from there and not miss anything. So you go to Discord and you ask about things. And when I was doing a lot of research about the projects, almost none of them can provide me the answers because the Discord is dead, pretty much. And there's no other avenue for me to ask questions. So how am I supposed to do the research if nobody's answering me? So that is us essentially my biggest lesson to learn. No, excellent. And I think you're right. I think um, uh, our our mods are absolutely fantastic in the way they respond um, and uh, answer questions for everybody. Um, I know that from my side of it, it's very difficult to actually get on there and um, uh, and update. I love it. I love getting on there, but uh, it's a matter of, for me personally, of finding some time. So our mods really jump in and um, uh, help out a huge amount on that one. Um, I'll pass across to, uh, to Ash right. now. Um, oh, yeah. One more thing. Um, there was yeah, also another sure. Metaverse project I was very much considering, and it was great. Their problem with the Discord was that even though they responded from time to time, they pretty much isolated themselves from the community. And so while they were working on developments, the community has, as a as as the at layer one, has pretty much moved on to other things, and they were still working on what used to be relevant. So yeah, I think that's also the other part of not just the mods, but also the developers being in touch with the community from time to time. No, brilliant. No, thank you for that. Um, okay, so um, Ash, what are your uh, your thoughts on that? About um, uh, any lessons that you've learned along the, your journey? Um, so for me, see, on a generic level and uh, not specific to uh, property investment, I would say doing your due diligence, uh, understanding the market where you're buying, selecting the right product. I think that that's important. And uh, also should have a risk mitigation strategy as well. And a plan B, just in case, you know, if things uh, started starting to fall off. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I got my first introduction to uh, due diligence um, uh, in uh, across the military when we we're actually doing a lot of um, uh, a lot of work and a lot of research and um, uh, coming up with uh, you know um, uh, um, how do I call it uh, when you're coming up with um, reports, shall I say? Um, I then moved across into the financial world um, and. Working for those investment banks, um, not only did I do those um, uh, reviews and things like that, I was actually asked to go out to uh, uh, potential investments to those companies and actually perform full due diligence across the, uh, the teams. Uh, and I did quite a lot of that. It was actually quite enjoyable. You come across some really passionate people. 
uh, and I think um, that, that also comes across in our Discord as well uh, and our team uh, about how passionate everybody is uh, with uh, with Lawan-X and, and what we've uh, um, what we've built here. Um, so what I might do is move on uh, um, the uh, the next question around really um, what made you guys um, want to diversify your portfolio uh, to include um, uh, interoperability and do you see that as a uh, as a valuable investment is, is it something that stands out to you uh, when you look at uh, crypto or, or blockchains today um, maybe crypto psycho to start with you And he's on mute again. Hopefully he's still with us. Maybe he's dropped off. Um, look, we'll give him a minute to jump back on again shortly, but um, uh, over to uh, Sleazy Slimy. Uh, yeah, sure. So I was looking to quite a lot of gaming projects. I am still quite involved, not as much involved, but with the, one of the metaverse gaming projects and uh, interoperability is pretty much all the rage for them so um as was stated in the ama we have oracles then if we add oracles three layers it, they become bridges and uh, then we can have l1x so if we add oracles to web3 gaming so it's not something i've researched much but that's my understanding of it if you add oracles you can add the nft marketplace inside the game a lot of projects are talking about integrating the NFT marketplace into the game. And that is a big progress for them. So they were all talking about uh, interoperability part of things. Then maybe you can add a bridge and you have can have cross-chain uh, the token, I guess, for them. So you would think about um, having the games on two chains. Like even two chains is already a big deal for them. So they were always focused on this. And uh, now we can look at L1X and actually have... As Kevin said, um, multi-chain instead of cross-chain games. Um, but uh, yeah, but that's another topic. So yeah, essentially, I diversified because a lot of the Web3 gaming projects are focused on bringing their games to other chains. That's pretty much where it started for me. Okay, and by bringing those uh, games across to other chains um, with that multi-chain, it still creates a bit of a problem because you can't truly interoperate between them yes you and you can swap you can do that via bridges etc but it's still quite painful and and takes a lot of um uh, takes building up a lot of knowledge about how to do that uh, and it takes away from enjoying the game because you, you can't get in there and just play the game which is ultimately what you want to do right yeah so um, i have one specific example that game yep. uh has a crafting uh mini game well it will at some point have crafting mini game because it's on development and uh, I was thinking, how would we do that? Because every material, uh, or as we call them, mats uh, and tools and finished product, they all have to be NFTs. So that is very expensive. Their solution was to have a layer two. Well, they are, they are also layer two, but another layer two to go with them. Uh, they would uh, calculate all of transactions there. They are almost like a side chain, I guess, to them and then sort of bunch everything together, sort of like ZK rollups, I guess, and um, send the finished product to the uh, to, to the game uh, token, uh, NFTs. Uh, but I mean, hold on a second. I kind of was, lost my was, train of thought. So it sounds yeah, like so, it was painful to do that, right? 
yeah, they're still in the process of doing this. And like, they're sort of like a centralized to decentralized cloud. So this is, this almost feels like a duct tape solution to me, at least, uh, because you're essentially trying to uh, take a very expensive thing and sort of optimize it. And uh, what I thought about uh, how LNX works, that actually it uh, takes away all of that pain. Because essentially, let's say you're trying, uh, hold on, <clears throat> let's say there's a new patch in an MMO game, and those people that play MMO games are probably going to know the feeling. Uh, you're expected to gather materials, then you're expected to craft some um, preparation materials. And then out of those preparation materials, you're supposed to craft the final set. So there are people who would go and calculate on a spreadsheet everything they need, which, I mean, a lot of people don't want to do that because it breaks the gaming experience. Some people like spreadsheets, but that's not many, especially among gamers. I think I know like a couple people who are really into spreadsheets and they are special people, I guess you could say. <laughs> uh, and also there's an, an element of randomness, as we call it RNG, or we also call it RNGs. That's why you cannot always calculate exactly how much you're going to need. For Web3 game, that is going to be very painful because every time you have to deal with NFTs, and if you have to deal with NFTs, that means you have to pay the fee for dealing with NFTs. So, uh, but coming back to the point, with L1X, we add execution layer to the communication. So it is my understanding that you actually don't have to deal with the fees all the time because the communication between the crafting materials and the finished product and the finished product uh, that is going to come later on can actually be communicated with each other without committing to the chain, the, the final product. And once you click, yes, I am ready, I am done with the process, and now you can actually calculate the, the last fee. So yeah, that is how I think uh, it can really help the crafting side of things. Yeah, uh, so I guess for me, that it comes back to um, not just interoperability, but that integration as well. Where uh, And look, I've got to admit, I um, was on a call earlier today um, and um, it was actually with our um, uh, our friends at Diga Labs, and what they did for me was um, <clears throat> uh, so they put up on their screen, uh, you know, the uh, Elder and Grain, uh, and then um, uh, they sent across the links for it. So I actually uh, um, uh, logged in, created an account for myself in there, and actually started playing some of the games that you guys are going to see coming up soon. Uh, and it was great fun. And really, what what we what we'll see in there is as as we progress through that and in, introduce a, a more and more capability, you'll start seeing the ability for people to um, whether they want to create their own NFT of a uh, it could be a skin or a gun or a, or a sword or a um, you know a character, uh, any of that sort of stuff from the gaming world can actually um, uh, can actually be bought and sold. Uh, you can push it out there for sale, and if you need to actually um, uh, buy one yourself you'll be able to uh, do it from within the game. The whole idea here is that you don't have to actually shell out in the same way that, oh, you go into a, um, you're playing game now that you actually have to go out of it, um, sort out your, uh, you know, the payment side of it to jump back in again and fiddle around. Whereas um, uh, the objective with Layer 1X is that we're able to do that from within a game. We can incorporate all of that wallet capability um, or the ability to buy and sell NFTs from within the game itself. And introduce that across to the uh, to the gaming studios, and, and they're pretty excited about that uh, moving it forward. So I'll jump across to Ash now about um, uh, you know the the, um, the things that you see about uh, um, uh, interoperability, um, uh, and you said as a um, uh, valuable investment. 
Yeah. Uh, so firstly, uh, in regards to the L1X uh, investment, um, so Mike, as you would know, uh, L1X was introduced to us uh, through our network. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it was uh, then when I went through uh, the white paper and uh, I came to know about interoperability. And then I started, uh, you know, uh, reading about it. Um, so what I found was uh, the current Web3 landscape, so which is uh, becoming increasingly multi-chain and multi-layer. So you have layer ones and then layer twos and even um, layer three networks on top of it. And so, but all of them work in silos and have their own ecosystems. So it is critical that these on-chain environments are able to interoperate to share the assets. So, for example, I mean, if we talk about a uh, live use case, so let's say it, if you've got a lending protocol where you collateralize your ETH on Ethereum change, borrow against it, bridge to destination change, do a swap, then farm, swap back to ETH, bridge back to the source chain, repay, and finally unlock the collateral. So that's heaps of heaps of steps. So if you tell this to our um, L1X uh, grandma, maybe uh, she'll get a fit. So no way she would be able to understand a single bit. And and um, Ash, I've experienced um, you know, a lot of what you're describing there, um, but I think the first time that it actually um, brings it home uh, is uh, if you go back, uh, I'll go back probably a couple of years now, um, or actually quite a few years, uh, when I actually did a transaction on there and I actually put down the wrong um, the wrong network um, and it's still, it's gone. And that's probably one of the key things for me is that uh, you learn that lesson very, very quickly when you make a mistake um, and, uh, you know, you send it to the wrong network. And that's one of the things that, um, you know, where um, with the interoperability is that we remove that as being a problem because uh, when you do a swap, um, you know, between chains, you want to go cross-chain, uh, you can't really make a mistake. Uh, you might send it to the wrong wallet. Okay, that's an address problem, but you you won't select the wrong network because it's automatically uh, inserted in there for you. And that's something that, that nobody's ever bothered solving even in the last you know, sort of seven years since Metabars was created. Um, it's crazy that nobody has, but uh, you know, that's just one little aspect of it. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know if you're still... Uh, sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, Please, I, yeah, yeah. I'm here. Now I've done I've done that as well. I sent uh, back back in 2018. I sent um, Bitcoin Cash to Bitcoin, or the other way around. I can't remember which way around it were, but I lost it and I wasn't happy. <laughs> and yeah, you learn that you learn the hard way, don't you? Oh, Unfortunately, totally. yeah. Now I just just to touch on the last question about like how interoperability is valuable, and then like the current landscape mm-hmm. that we're in now. They kind of they kind of morph into the same into the same to be honest because to me like the future the future of crypto or web3 whatever you want to call it it comes from interoperability so like if, you, if we're gonna if we're gonna onboard the masses which basically means onboarding everyone that uses social media platforms everyone that listens to music everyone that plays games it's got to be done on a web two side where people are playing games, people are listening to music, people are engaging on social platforms in a web two kind of landscape, but on a web three block, like on a web web three kind of blockchain, that's on the back end what they don't see. So like, as far as like investments go into L1X because it's interoperable, I can't really think of a more, um, 
a better investment to be in when it comes to interoperability because it's covering everything. And it, it's the thing is, it's the blockchain that allows it to happen. But then the crazy thing is, is the projects that are that are come that are going to come and build on this chain. So you basically you're getting you're getting everything. If you if you if you're looking at layer one X as something that you want to get into because it's interoperable, it's probably the only the only chain that does what it does and because it does what it does it's got to attract so many projects because if they want to interact with all these different chains and even web2 companies were they're looking at okay well how do we how do we take advantage of um getting getting all this exposure they can just look at layer one x as just like an on-ramp for them into into blockchain and then from there, then they can go out and they can target all these different gamers, all these different uh, musicians, all these different social media or metaverse, whatever you want to call them. And it's all done through one through one place. Like the landscape at the minute is, it's all about interoperability. It's all about digital identity, and and it's what it's what's being talked about. And then the other thing is AI as well. That's like a massive narrative too. But the beauty of the beauty of layer one X, it's a blockchain that connects everything, and the innovation that's going to be built on top of that, we don't even know what it is yet. And I'm sure a lot of these AI platforms, what are building, that are getting a lot of eyes and a lot of ears now. Once they find out about L one X, I think a transition to L one X is probably inevitable because if you've got AI that is so advanced in what it's capable of doing, imagine putting that on a blockchain that then can connect to every chain. So it's to me, it's it's the most sensible investment because you can basically tap into everything. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's almost like um, uh, let's use the analogy of a of a um, of a hot rod um, or a, or a, a um, racing car. That at the moment you have got things like AI. Um, that's the racing car, um, and then they're sticking um, uh, bicycle wheels on it and trying to drive it around. It's not going to work. They're going to need that capability the whole way through, you know. It's uh, that's yeah, it's that's huge. exactly it. And I've been I've been looking at quite a few different AI projects because a lot of people are talking about AI projects. And the thing is, they don't know about L one X yet. Can you imagine what AI will be capable of doing? These projects would are launching what it, what it'll be capable of doing for like the DeFi applications. Totally. They've got to, they'll find out about layer one X and they'll they'll be rolling over laughing because the opportunity that they've got. What they can tap into is immense. Well, interesting what you've been talking there. Um, I don't know if people can hear it, but I've got all these dings happening in my headset about all the messages. And it's what's happening. Uh, uh, all the um, uh, all the projects and uh, um, people that we're talking to are just keeping, you know, the, the messaging keeps coming. Uh, and I've got to take my hat off to uh, uh, to Inna, who's, um, I think she's actually, uh, um, know, she's on the call, but uh, she's around. Um, the, the amount of messages she's responding to that we're all responding to, it's absolutely huge. Um, so, look, I might move on a little bit, and um, uh, I know, um, Ash, I think you touched on it already about um, uh, how you first got introduced. Maybe um, uh, if you yeah, share us a little bit more about that story uh, from your side, um, that'll be good. He's using, he's using a bridge. He's doing a me. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think he's still, yeah, he's still on mute. Um, Ash, I don't know if you heard that one, but um, uh, introduce how you uh, tell us about how you got introduced to Layer One X. Sorry, guys, um, the mute button right. just got sticky. 
Okay. Uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, as uh, Mike, as, as I uh, told, um, so layer one was uh, introduced uh, via our network. Um, so, I went through uh, the white paper, and uh, that's when um, uh, I did my initial investment. And then later on, uh, I visited the X uh, office in Perth as well. So, I live on uh, the Australian East Coast, and so flew especially to meet the team talk through the project, uh, the future roadmap, etc. And I think uh, this was last year when we were still in private sale round. That's um, right, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so during that visit, I met Kevin, uh, Ma Matthew, Norman, and uh, and yourself. And then I spent, uh, I, I still remember, um, I, I spent a considerable amount of time chatting to you, all things L1X, your journey from IT to crypto, and some facts and figures, you know, which which were alpha at that stage, but well known now. Um, so that visit sort of cemented my conviction in the L1X team, um, and hence uh, mm, I made further investment into uh, in that uh, private sale round. And uh, from that visit, I even got a L1X T-shirt. So Mike Mike was kind enough to present me that L1X T-shirt. Uh, which was a big deal at that point of time. I, I think it still is, mate. I think um, there's still a lot of people who are hunting for that, and um, yeah. let alone the things like the caps and uh, some of the other stuff that we've got as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was an absolute pleasure meeting you over there and, and taking the time out to come across and say hello and not just driving in. And I know, look, some people who they might live uh, near us and it's easy for them to get to us, but uh, for somebody to make that sort of commitment um, really shows and that that makes us, um, uh, it, feels, it feels good about what we're trying to do, that people see it. It's uh, so very important. Um, yeah. Um, so, and, uh, sorry, sorry, Mike. Um, there's another hmm. thing as well. Uh, there's some emotional angle as well. So I come from uh, the uh, same town as uh, where Kevin comes from, from Pune. So there was this, uh, you know, this emotional angle to it. Um, you know, we, we both sharing uh, the same hometown. I know that uh, emotional side should be kept aside uh, when you're investing, but then still, you know, that, that angle came in. Then I said that uh, you have to give it think, for Kevin and for Pune. Yeah. Um, look, I think the um, the emotional angle does come in a little bit. It always does. In, when, when you're investing, um, you know, it's hard to ignore that side, but it also helps us build confidence uh, in the individuals, if you if you understand where they're coming from, where you've come from, and if you've got that um, synergy there, then I think it makes it much um, uh, much easier to uh, to build the the trust level and and the confidence to know that people are trying to do the right thing and build the right thing. So, um, I might move on now to uh, Sleazy Slimy. Give us a little bit of a uh, an overview of your journey um, to get introduced to across to Layer One X. Hmm. Hold on. So you mean? You mean how I found out about it, or more for? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Look, um, anything you want to talk about with it, with regards to it. So, uh, you know, um, your, your some of the journey through crypto and into uh, then, you know, how you've uh, found how you found Layer One X. Right. So, um, I was saying before, I used to be involved in a um, gaming project, and that gaming project talked a lot about interoperability. Uh, so, I was looking for more. 
small smaller cap coins because they've kind of already launched. So I was looking for something that maybe I can get in early. Uh, I found Joe Paris video. Joe Paris introduced me to this decentralized swap at the time. I didn't know what that even meant, but um, I saw uh, the white paper. I saw people being excited about it as well. So I kind of went for it because I thought that oh, for a lot of projects, I'm not going to understand it fully anyway. So it's not going to get any better from me doing more research. Um, I was, let's see, for the first few months, I was just waiting. Then I found out that it has a pretty active community. And uh, it was my opportunity to uh, get to know people from the active community because the, in so many other projects, it's pretty much dead. It, they have a, I don't know if it's a meme or if it's a generally useful thing, they have a GM channel where people spam good morning and there's nothing else there. And this is the most used channel out of all uh, channels in Discord. Um, yeah, so I started getting to know people. I started learning uh, how to develop skills which would be more in tune of what's necessary rather than me trying to base my expectations based on Web2. Uh, I found out about Rust from... Um, from Layer 1X, which I'm trying to learn now, which is great because it actually interests me a lot. Uh, probably the other thing that I found out is that mobile applications are also very much in need because there are so many devs in Web3 that are focusing on the backend, but the, the mobile uh, developers are actually... Those projects that even do have uh, the mobile app, they are very slow. It, it was funny for me to witness one project which released the iOS version, but the it was like half a year ago. And to this point, they still haven't released the Android version. So like it speaks volumes to how <laughs> there is not enough devs in the space. So um, yeah, pretty much. Excellent. Thank you for that. Appreciate the, uh, the update. And uh, Mr. Crypto Psycho. I, I found out about Layer 1X by a complete fluke. I was literally at work, sweating cobs as I always am because I'm an Englishman in Australia, and I was just in a, a Telegram group, um, which is a Perth, it's called Perth DGENs, and I just got a ping, checked my message, and this was 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and it was saying, oh, there's a, there's a crypto event in Perth at 6, six o'clock, and I was in Ellenbrook, and I live in Alkimos, so Ellenbrook to Alkimos is an hour, shower, down to, down to, I literally got there just in time. I didn't even know what it was, what it was, but a crypto event. I'm always going to go to one if if I can. So, I went to it. Um, as soon as I got there, quite a lot of people in there. Well, it were packed actually, and then had the pleasure of meeting Mike, Matthew, and Kevin. Listening to listening to Kevin on stage, uh, on explaining interoperability. I think they were doing the cross chain swap at the time. I think. Um, and yeah, I just got blown away by it and realized that, hang on a minute, like it, this interoperability thing, people have talked about it for so long and swapping and using bridges. And, and then I, I end up at this event and it's as if it was kind of meant to be because I, lit I literally just, just got there in the nick of time. I think it was about four weeks before the private sale ended. So from b attending the event, then going away, doing um, a lot of research on it and trying to also integrate a game that we were working on to then because at the time because I, I worked for a game studio too and then 
finding out about layer one experience interoperable, which is something we were going through with a game that we're building, trying to find a chain to go on. And it was like everything kind of just come together at the right time. So serendipity, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, it was writing on the wall. And fast forward, what are we now? 11 months. And I think I'm like, 100, 100 plus videos on YouTube for Layer One X exclusively. So, I reckon, I reckon I caught the bug. <laughs> I, I think, I think you have. You've got the virus, definitely. Um, definitely, yeah. Most definitely, yeah, yeah. It's been, uh, and it's been a hell of a journey, I think, for all of us. And um, uh, you know, even speaking to to uh, some of you guys uh, and some of the other community that are out there that's listening now, um, it's absolutely fantastic to um, uh, to interact with you and. And know and, and hear about your journeys, about how you've come, and we've all got a slightly different one. Yeah, you know, everybody's um, been through all sorts of um, uh, of uh, yeah experiences. Yeah, you know, some good, some bad. Um, you know, you learn your lessons, um, uh, and uh, you know you try and apply those lessons across through uh, uh, through your investments. And also, sometimes it's more than the investments. It's um, not just of money. It's it's of your time and your your resources, your effort. Um, because you 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 want things to uh, to succeed, so you you all fight really hard. Um, I think we're coming up close to time now, but um, what I might do is um, uh, just to um, sort of open it up um, around um, the thing, anything that that sort of excites you about where we're heading, um, and taking a view of a of a long term holder. Um, if so, you know why do you why do you have that view? Um, start off crypto psycho with you. Well, for me. A long-term hold is like something that I think I'd, for my personal self, I think I'd be silly not to because I look at, you start looking at um, what other blockchains have done from launch and like there's a there's a, a, a infograph that goes around and it shows all your top blockchains and you look at like, I think it's like a 3.7 four-year time horizon from launch to all-time highs. And you kind of look at that and I'm looking at them chains and, like, even though they're all chains what everyone's heard of, a lot of these chains, they're not necessarily doing an awful lot. There's not a lot of activity on these chains. And then I start looking at Layer 1X and kind of looking at what what it offers and what it's got coming. And I think, well, I'm in at Ground Zero on a blockchain that's doing something that's never been done before. If this isn't a call, if this isn't a call to action to hold on to your damn tokens, your coins for as long as possible, I don't know what is. And the thing that excites me most about Layer One X is the unknown, because at the minute Layer One X has got is building this protocol for people to come and innovate and build on. And I think the smartest the smartest projects what are gonna build on Layer One X. I personally think that we don't even know what they are yet because there's so many smart, innovative people out there that have got ideas and they've just not even put on put pen to paper. And I think at some point we're going to get something that blows us blows us more away than what we've already been blown away. And that's that's like a high expectation. But yeah, it's the un, the unknown for me is what I'm excited about. Totally agree. So here's a, a little question for everybody um, uh, who's listening, and um, stick your hands up uh, if if you um, uh, you know tell us if you agree or, or like it. Imagine if you had uh, purchased um, ten thousand uh, you know Bitcoin when it was sitting there at a at a you know in the in the cents, um, or even uh, you know, even a thousand. Um, stick your hand up if um, uh, if you wish you had done that with something like Bitcoin or Ethereum or one of those. Um, just whack your hand up there. If you don't know how to do it, give it a go. Um, I'm sure everybody would agree that they uh, they, they wish they had done that. 
Um, look, I, I think um, at one stage there, I held about 212 Bitcoin um, yeah, in the very early days. Um, yeah, do I wish I held it? Oh, absolutely. Definitely. So um, jump over to Sleazy Slimy now and uh, give us your thoughts yeah. around that. Um, yeah, so about um, that question, I remember mm. back in like 2011, I was about, uh, what was it, like 14 years old. I had $100 for my birthday. And my dad was like, you can just spend it on anything. And I remember thinking about Bitcoin back then. It was like, uh, I think it was under under $100 back then. But like at the time, obviously I was like 14. So I couldn't have bought it even if I wanted to, even if I decided to take the risk because I didn't know how to do this. And uh, we didn't exactly have a good platform to buy it back then. I would not be able to register on centralized exchange, obviously, because I'm, I was a miner. But I still think back there, like, what would have happened if I put, <laughs> used my hundred dollars for my birthday to this? That was it's a always a a thought that I remember. Uh, yeah. So the other thing I remember that um, from before, I was looking at Zeta Chain. Zeta Chain claims to be interoperable because they're based on Cosmos IBC. Uh, yeah. By the way, Cosmos IBC. I had another example which was mentioned on AMA. Um, this, if if you listen to nothing else, which is technical, listen to the example, which is in Sleazy Timestamp. I don't remember which one, but essentially Kevin talks about diplomacy. Ima imagine if China and Australia were trying to negotiate uh, some kind of, let's say, trade agreement. And um, one way would be to go through Cosmos IBC. The other one would be to go through L1X. L1X does the heavy lifting for you, but well, well, Cosmos IBC forces you to adhere to their standard. So imagine if between Australia and China, they would have to go through US and US would like say, here's a fill in the blanks. You can you can only interact using this form. We're gonna pass this blank after checking it, of course, to the other side, and they are going to interact with you using that same blank. Yeah. <laughs> that that would be horrible in many things. Of course, I'm exaggerating how bad it would be with Cosmos, but the the, po the point stands. It was a pretty uh, good idea. It gives a pretty good idea of uh, why it is very different. And I was looking at Zeta Chain about uh, selecting the right network. One of their FAQs is make sure you select the right network, otherwise your funds are unrecoverable. I'm like, yeah, that is going to be a big problem. They're even putting it in FAQs, so you know they had a lot of people doing this, like in the very first few days after they launched. Um, no, I, think I am. Sorry, what? No, no, no. I was going to say. I think yeah. I, um, I agree with you. Look, I think I mentioned before that I've um, I did exactly that uh, um, many years ago myself, and you learn that lesson very, very quickly. But um, for a lot of people, they don't quite understand why that's um, uh, that's important. Um, and uh, I think um, you know bringing that ability across to crypto to make it simpler, to make it easy to uh, to navigate. You know, we've with most of this generation, uh, um, you know, and. and uh, even going back to my early days, holding a bank passport, uh, you know, moving across to uh, electronic banking. I think we're now starting to see the, the next generation coming on, which, uh, which across uh, blockchain and crypto, um, and uh, you know, the decentralisation and um, what that can bring to uh, to, to the world, um, especially in the finance side of things, uh, is absolutely amazing. Um, across to um, to Ash now to um, get your thoughts on um, uh, things that excite you most now, and um, your thoughts around being a long term holder. Um, so I think I'm uh, with the latest uh, tokenomics changes. Uh, I, th I guess we all are long-term holders now. 
whether you like it or not. Uh, but yeah, uh, jokes apart on a serious note, um, I'm here for the long haul. Uh, I have my tokens vested and also got a few validator nodes. So all set for the long term. And I think uh, with uh, the tech uh, we have and the use cases, uh, I see a lot of growth in the coming medium to long term. So just hold on to your coins and then yeah, it should pay, pay big. Yeah, I think um, I think you're right on that. Uh, um, I, I know part of what we've done with the tokenomics, um, uh, you know, pushes people down that track. Um, but we've the, the, part of the reason we did that was to um, ensure that we look after our um, our people because how often you start seeing those charts. And, and I'm not just talking about in the crypto world. I'm talking about in the traditional finance and the share market that you see a massive ramp up and then an absolute dump as people try to profit take. Um, and uh, you know, it, it benefits those who are able to get out quickly. Sure, they might take some money out of it, but they're really not um, the type of investor that uh, uh, that we're looking for. We're looking for the people who are in it for the long haul. Um, those that are um, uh, are going to, uh, you know, be thankful that they've um, they've held um, uh, for the future of what we can uh, what we can bring. Imagine being able to go cross chain to absolutely any chain. You know, we've got uh, eight out there at the moment. We've got a couple more that are in the wings. Um, uh, one of them you know about, which is Bitcoin. Uh, imagine uniting all of those chains together. We're not trying to compete with them. We just want to join them all together, make it uh, simpler and easier for users so that we can get that mass adoption. Um, I think, uh, look, we've been going for an hour now, um, and it might be best to, uh, to let everybody have, go and have a bit of a rest and a good evening. But um, uh, I want to thank everyone for their time tonight. It's been absolutely fantastic talking. Um, and, um, yeah, look, uh, let's look forward to our next one. Over to you, Sam. Yeah. Uh, is my mic working or is it still echoing? Yes. Yes. No, no. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Uh, finally. Uh, Twitter, Twitter always likes to rugs all, all of us or each one of us. But yeah, thanks everyone for jumping in. Thank you, our speakers, and thank you, our audience, for jumping in as well. Uh, just a reminder that we have a huge event coming up called Liquidity Bootstrap Phase. If you aren't aware of what that is, then I encourage you all to jump into our Discord. And I'm sure all our moderators and me, Furkan, uh, or Joe will help you out. Uh, as always, thank you for joining and we will see you all in the next episode of X-Talks. Bye-bye. Cheers, Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Thank you.